You're listening to Get Real KC with Jen and Eric. Kansas City's consumer-facing real estate podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Get Real KC, where we are over the top with passion for all things real estate. I'm Eric Jurgensen. And I'm Jennifer Justice. And we're here today to share with you our fifth installment on the home buying journey from start to keys. And this, our final installment, right, is about closing, right? How to, how to, how to get through that close and get those keys. Now, last time we talked about appraisals and we talked about inspections. And so once you've gone through those and dealt with any of the changes that need to be made, renegotiations, et cetera, Right. Ultimately, really, we're trying to get to close, but there's sort of one piece that's not actually closed, but for the vast majority of people buying homes is a process that goes on, goes on typically behind the scenes, maybe with a few questions, and that's underwriting. So I want to talk about and demystify underwriting a little bit before we get to the actual close. Absolutely. So what the heck do we mean by underwriting, right? Somebody going to jump under a table and write something (laughs) down? No, no, no. What is underwriting? It's a focus of a risk level because likely, as you said, Eric, most people are going to be borrowing some money to buy this house and an underwriter, so potentially a real person, is going to look at your file and determine that your risk level is good for them and that you are in a solid financial position to purchase this home. So this can be done a couple of different ways. There's a computer-related underwriting process called an automated underwriting process that can be a pretty simple risk evaluation. They'll just throw it all into a computer and something comes back out on the other side, I assume. <laughs> or, <laughs> But that's not for every, every scenario. No, no, no. There's several files that have a manual underwriting process, meaning somebody is actually going to look at your file and check off boxes and assess the risk for your loan and your home that you're purchasing because they look at the appraisal in this process as well. It's interesting. I, myself, I've actually gone through both processes. I remember uh, a lot of underwriting questions that came out of the very first loan that my wife and I did on a house. And then on the last house we've done, it was an automated process. It went extremely fast. And, and part of it, I'm sure, it has the fact is the fact that we were uh, a conventional loan with 20% down on our last purchase. Yeah, obviously, when you put 20% down, it's less risk for the loan company because you have a 20% equity position starting off the bat. Whereas if you're at a 5% um, down payment, there's more risk for the bank in their eyes just because of the amount of the loan. So what are these underwriters going to look at? Well, you've already been subjected to looking at a lot of stuff with your loan officer, and hopefully they've done a good job of collecting all of these documents, but they're going to look at your credit again. I was going to say, because hang on a minute, I've already done that, right? I've already given it. You've already done the credit. You've asked about my work history, all of that kind of stuff. Somebody else wants to take a look, Eric, and it's the underwriter. (laughs) All right. So is this the exact same process or does this go a little deeper? It's actually deeper. And that's really the big piece of underwriting is this is a closer, deeper look by another person, not just your loan officer, because they've done a good job trying to put all of the data together to make the underwriting process go as quick as possible and to check all of those boxes. So credit wise, they're going to look at how many lines of credit you have, how long you've had these lines of credit, 
How much of your credit line are you using? That's a big factor. So you don't want to keep those credit lines all used up. So if you have $10,000, try and keep it 50% or less. And your loan officer probably told you this in the beginning, but this is something they're going to look at. They're going to look at the payment history, and then they're going to look at the types of credit, whether it's revolving, installment, student loans. And if you've had any derogatory events like a bankruptcy or something like that, doesn't mean you can't buy a home, but they're going to take a deeper look into that and maybe even make you produce some of those legal documents pertaining to whatever that was. Hey, now, now part of what I want to do when I buy this new home, right, I get that you're kind of taking a deep dive look at my credit, but I want to go out to, you know, my favorite furniture store because we're going to buy some new furniture. I want a new fridge and a couple of new couches. I, I should just go ahead and get that done so I can have it day one, right? Oh, no, no, no. Let's not do any of that before we sign at closing. So we don't want to change our credit picture from what we presented in the beginning of our loan process because we're going to actually sign a loan application that says this is exactly what I pledged at the beginning and I still have all of this now that I'm signing my actual closing documents. So it's not a good idea for me to go run up a $10,000 bill at Nebraska Furniture Mart. No, no, don't go buy that new car either. <laughs> Hold off. And, and you know, there are clients that have had emergencies and have had to go buy a new car. We can try and work that out as best we can, but it's definitely going to make it easier in the underwriting process if you don't go buy that new car. So if you can avoid those things, it's much preferred. But if you have to, let's discuss it. Let's discuss it with our loan officer. That way they can make this underwriting process as painless as possible. So with uh, credit, I want to talk a little bit about debt to income because I kind of dug into it with the credit line a little bit. So they're looking at how much debt you actually have in regards to how much income you have. So the lower that number is, the better off it is. So you want to 30% or less, right? You don't want to have an extreme amount of debt compared to what you're actually bringing in on a monthly basis. So the lower you can do for this process, the better off you are. And don't go buy that stuff until afterwards because that's going to raise your debt to income ratio. Uh, it's a real thing. I mean, even, on, even on my last move, because we did some of that, we wanted some new furniture. We waited until closing day and you know, we had it picked out. <laughs> right, go shopping. And, <laughs> but, but just don't let that salesperson sell you on that until after. And don't exactly be shy to tell do. them, no, no, no. My realtor, Jen, told me I can't do that. And she's a pretty serious gal about this home buying stuff. So, uh, All right. So they've, they're deep diving into my credit. What else are they deep diving into? They're going to take a look at that income, Eric. So you may have had all kinds of overtime due to COVID because we're recording this during the pandemic. And so, like, I've got some good friends at Ford. They are working tons of overtime because some of the associates at Ford have high-risk individuals in their household, and they're not having to come into work. But that's creating an opportunity for other guys or gals at Ford, and they're making a lot of hay while this sun is shining. That's what they're doing. But if this overtime has just come about since May of this year, they are not going to be able to use all of that income <laughs> Sorry, guys, there's a spider yeah, there's right a in spider front of There's a coming down in the studio right in front of Jen. This is hilarious. I got it. I ain't afraid. <laughs> um, so they're going to have to have that overtime for two years 
or at least be able to average it out to where it looks like it's going to continue for a long period of time. So just because you've got some overtime and you've had it for the last few months and it's it's giving you all of these great things, put that money in savings, but don't count on being able to use that as part of your income income qualification during this process right. so, so two years is kind of what you're looking for temporary boosts in income don't typically help you need some longevity if you're commission-based um, or, or some kind of sales based you need to have some consistent income over a couple of years for them to really consider those commissions and those kinds that's of things. right Eric yeah. they want to see that stability it's like exercising consistency is key this is really where it's important. We know exercise is all good for our health, but uh, if you're not going to make a commitment and do it three times a week, 30 minutes a day, they kind of like frown upon that. And, and plus, you're not going to lose that weight. Well, you're not going to get that loan if you don't stay on the consistent path. So, so what you're telling me is, is an underwriter is not going to be impressed with my workout ethic. Uh, they, they might be a little <laughs> lackluster on that there. Yep. Mm. All right. So we've talked about, right, we've got credit and income, which are going to be examined a little bit deeper. But, you know, there are things that that paint my financial picture. Like, for example, my wife and I, we own both of our cars outright. And does, that, does that play a factor? Not exactly the car, but the assets like your retirement accounts or your bank accounts, those can be used to show more security. And underwriting is not an exact science. It can be an ebb and flow of the entire process. So th some things can be really strong. Like you could have, you know, $100,000 in your retirement account, and you can use that for your reserves and not have quite as much in your bank account as long as you can prove in your retirement account that that can be used for your home in the event that you need it. So, and if you have any large cash deposits, grandma gave you that 10 grand and you put it in the bank, you're going to have to explain that to an underwriter. They're going to have you sourcing large deposits. So with that $10,000, you're going to have to write out a statement that says grandma gave this to me as a gift. And grandma's going to have to write a letter that says this is not a loan. And I gave this willingly to my grandson or granddaughter. And I don't expect anything in return. And so you just want to be prepared for those. That's why the loan officer is a super important choice because you've got to trust this person with a lot of personal financial data. You know, I remember that. I remember particularly back on our on our first home and our first home loan, first home home buyers. I, I, I don't remember all of the details at the most. It would have been a 5% down loan. It might have been less. And I remember uh, getting this questionnaire from the underwriters saying, could you please explain the following deposits to me? And I thought, really, you care about where the money comes from? And then some of them weren't significant. Uh, they were they were like you know there was a five hundred dollar deposit last January and I'm like I, yeah I don't I don't remember now here's the good news is is they just want a, a solid swing in and most of them we were able to go back and go okay that was uh, you know that that was a reimbursement from uh, a class I took from work or something like that but a couple of them I just had to put I just don't recall and they were okay with that because I was able to give them a big enough picture of where sort of our income sources had been. Yeah, and a lot of times this underwriting process, if your loan officer has done a good job like the one that we use, they've asked for a lot of this information up front and they've already gotten all this documents done. They're just gonna be doing updates. So, you know, there's several different types of approval that can be issued. And, you know, unfortunately one of those is you can be denied outright. But that's not very common, actually. You haven't gotten to this point, especially with a trusted loan officer like we use. Uh, they do a good job of vetting things, and we have a really, really 
um, solid chance of closing the deal. As a matter of fact, I'd probably put it at 99%. I rarely have a deal that won't close. As a matter of fact, the only time I can think of in the last year, uh, actually two years ago, that one hasn't closed is some flood insurance stuff came up and it, it caused some ratios to be out of whack in cost. Now, we revamped that and were able to close you know, later, but that was the only reason that that particular transaction got denied. It actually had nothing to do with you know what was going on there. But you can get a clear bill of hills you got a clear to close right that's the one we're looking for a clear clear to close but frequently what we get is an approval with conditions and those conditions could be things like where did that ten thousand dollar come from or you're going to have to supply whatever it was that they were looking at uh it could be an appraisal condition you know an appraisal is part of your underwriting process and they're going to go in and look at did the property need any repairs they can make it approval with conditions of a repair based on the appraisal so there's lots of different ways that that can come but most frequently we see an approval with conditions conditions in our world because we use a great loan officer is usually just some updates to like a retirement statement you know maybe you have last quarter statement and we're five days into this quarter now they want an update to that yeah so So. just just verifying what you've already told them that things haven't changed like you know they're going to verify and verify again that's just the that they're securing their risk against the asset and against you as the borrower and they're just doing a detailed analysis more so than has already been done. Now, as a consumer, is there really a lot other than maybe answering some of these questions that are brought to me? Is there really anything I need to do for underwriting unless I'm asked? Enjoy the ride because <laughs> you're almost there. You're almost getting those keys. You're almost signing away your life. You're doing all that. All right. So let, let's get to that point. Right. Uh, it, and it, it's 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 a great day. It's closing day. And, and let's talk a little bit about closing day. Now, I think there's a couple of ways to talk about it. But the first thing I want to talk about is um, I know as a buyer, I've got to bring some money. right? And I've got a couple of different ways I can bring that. Now, I, I, I can't know no suitcases full of cash and no personal checks, right? Nope. Typically, you're doing money uh, either by bringing some kind of bank or cashier's check mm-hmm. or you're wiring. So real quick, safety announcement, tell me about the risks of wiring. So if you are wiring money, I know that that's widely accepted in this day and age. Just make sure that you are calling to get wiring instructions. These are not something that we want to be emailing around because unfortunately, real estate is targeted for wire fraud. And knock on wood, we haven't had a client that's been exposed in that direction But we've heard some big horror stories. And when you're talking about your tens of thousands of hard-earned dollars, we don't want that being stolen by someone that interjects your email and changes one digit to their bank account and wires it over. So you just want to call. And you also want to call your banker. So I don't email any of that stuff around. It's a phone call. You write it down on a real sheet of paper. You know, and then you you take place from there because it unfortunately is a real threat in this day and age. So you just do your due diligence on that. So you're doing all of that, so there can't be any uh, fraud where people are getting access to email accounts, you know, changing information. Bingo. Et and I mean, we know that emails aren't always that secure, so that's why we don't email that around. We just don't take that risk with wiring. But more than likely, if you're not comfortable with that, and there are still quite a few people that don't want to mess with wiring, plus it actually costs more than a cashier's check typically to do a wire. Um, you can go in the bank. And you can get your cashier's check made payable to said title company. 
company. And then you can go from there and take it into the title company when you go to sign all of your documents. All right. Well, at the beginning of the process, when I've discussed putting an offer down on the house and then gotten some information from my lender about what they, you know, what, what this is going to cost, are they going to do the loan? They'll have given me something that says generally, this is approximately how much money we think you'll need to bring to close. Yep. You get an estimated cost to close up front. How and do then- I know exactly how much I have? Because if I get a cashier's check, it's got to be to the penny. Right. It, it needs to be. Okay, right. There's been situations where we have to make up the difference, you know, maybe if it's a small amount in a personal check. But generally speaking, this needs to be exact. And so your loan officer will issue uh, the closing disclosure. And the closing disclosure came out when the Dodd-Frank law came into play about four or five years ago. And we have truth in lending. And these are all funny terms and funny laws, I know, to, uh, to people. But it's to protect the consumer. Because what we didn't want to happen, and unfortunately did happen, is that a loan company could potentially gouge a client with several thousand dollars at the end of the closing, um, where now we have to disclose that three days prior to closing, the client has to sign off on that and there has to be that three day period. And that's gonna have your cash to close to the penny. So let's talk about that a little bit, right? Because in the industry, we call that the three day rule. And it's really important that I think you know it. Uh, it's all part of that truth and when lending, truth and truth and lending, truth and lending set of set of laws and, and and statutes to make sure that we protect the consumer so that they have the ability to look at and understand as best possible the amount of money they're being asked to bring in these big financial transactions, uh, not only the amount of cash they have to bring in, but the loan and its terms, et cetera. Right, and just saying whether it's uh, prepayment penalties, all of this kind of stuff is clearly stated in the closing disclosure, which was made to allow the consumer to read it much, much easier than was being done before that. And so one of the interesting things about the three-day rule is there's really no give on that. Your lender and your title company will not right close unless that document has been received and acknowledged and you acknowledge it via an electronic signature by the buyer three days before close yeah this is a federal program and there's no given it and these things are time date stamped so if you as the buyer if it's coming that evening and you fail to sign it because it came to you and you go to bed that night You've just bought yourself an extra day potentially. Now, hopefully you've got it out a little wiggle room, but unfortunately things come down to the wire a lot. So you just have to be on your toes and prepared for this and it's coming and this is your three-day closing rule. You need to sign it as soon as you get it. If you have any questions, you can contact your loan officer or your agent and they can explain it to you. But frequently most of this has been gone over. Like I said, when you're using an excellent lender like we do, they've done a phenomenal job going over all this. Yeah, I've had uh, deals bump, and and to be honest, one of mine is bumped, not because of the lender I use, which is like the the one I I know our brokerage recommends, uh, and I really really love them, but uh, it was because there was a contingency. So it was the actual uh, lender for the sale of the house, you know, behind me, if you think about it in sort of a domino fashion. And and, uh, they didn't get the, um, the... the closing disclosure out and through, and the whole the whole set of dominoes had to be bumped and let me tell you even though it's not the biggest deal in the world but that typically means that contracts all have to have amendments and new closing dates have to be picked and if you're meeting in person to sign documents uh, then all of those appointments have to be set up title companies have to, it, it can be 
messy and frustrating. And the last thing you want, anybody wants when they're getting ready to get their homes sold. So I'm going to have a, I'm going to have this new money that I'm going to be going to doing something with or this excitement of going in and saying, hey, you know, I've got movers ready to go and we're going to go to Nebraska Furniture Mart or Crawley Furniture, whatever furniture yeah, place. Yeah, moving movers is a big deal. Yeah. I so. know it sounds funny, but moving <coughs> movers is a big deal. And so you really want to, you know, all the pieces really have to fall just into place. And, and this part is a little bit anticlimactic based on everything that you've been through because you're going to get to closing, which you're going to call about one week prior to your scheduled closing date with the title company to get that set up. Although e-notary is becoming a thing and we may not have to walk through that brick and mortar here very soon because e-notary is now legal in Missouri, um, you really still... You know, set up the closing a week before so that you make sure you get your time, especially if you're going to want that afternoon or that evening appointment. That title company books up just like anyone else, and you want to get that appointment scheduled. So I recommend to all of our clients that a week out, we're setting that closing time and that date with that title company so that we can get in, get those documents signed, and then be getting the keys. All right, so let's talk here in our last couple of minutes just about that process. Now, if we mentioned we're, we're recording this during the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, hopefully for his history i don't have to actually identify it's only the one pandemic we've dealt with <laughs> I hope but so just too. in case uh and so closings obviously have changed a lot they're doing curbside closings sometimes they're doing in-person closings but it's only the individual or two individuals or however many there are that actually need to sign let's talk a little bit about what a closing would be like prior to the pandemic and and who's going to be there and why they might be there to help you yeah, traditionally, the realtor and the loan officer came to the executive table with you, if you will. You kind of have it in like an executive conference room with a nice long table because you're going to have all these spread out documents that you're going to be signing. And if you want to read all of these documents, and I'm using 150 pages here as an example, um, if you want to read all 150 pages, you're going to need to let your loan officer or your title company know that prior to because you're probably going to need a little extra time. But typically, the title company and loan officer and realtor do a good job of explaining what it is that you're signing because you're not signing anything that no one signed before. These are the legal documents to have the deed of trust, the warranty deed, and your note payable with your promise to purchase on this home. So, you know, you're you're going through it a little bit fast, but somebody is explaining this to you. But you're welcome to get them prior to and read them if you want. You want to allow yourself about an hour uh, to go into closing and to sign all of those documents, get all that done. You want to have a form of ID, a driver's license or a passport or some type of ID for your notary part of this. And of course, you want to have that cashier's check or have done that wire that we talked about when we go into closing. But you know, right now it's different. Some people have tables set up out front. And so we're closing these out front or some people are, you know, we, we all have to be masked up right now, but they're coming to your car side. And we're sending this back and forth on a clipboard trying to do it. it it's not exactly ideal for the number of documents, but we're all um, changing together through this time. I think we're back in the office for the most part right now with, you know, masked up. You don't probably have to stay masked up when you're sitting down. That seems to be the role places. But, you know, that's kind of what it is. And now the realtors and the loan officers are not allowed to go to closing. Right. It is only signers, 
only signers. Now, I'm sure they make exceptions for children sometimes, but as a rule, they really don't want the kids there either. So only signers are going to closing. A lot of times only signers are going in houses to look. It's just how it is right now. Right. I, and so I know I've approached that a couple of ways because I always like to be there for my clients if they have any questions. And I know that uh, a lot of loan age officers do too. So uh, I've actually, uh, we've because I think we've both done this, like we've been in the parking lot, right? If you need anything, just come get me or come talk or to me. Or FaceTime me. Or FaceTime I've me, got right Zoom. I'll set you up on a Zoom and, and then you can show me what you're talking about. But, so, yeah. And, and then frequently we're there to give them the keys right after. Absolutely. Depending on what possession has been agreed to, um, you know, you may have gotten the keys at the walkthrough and you as the agent are holding on to those keys. I have heard a lot of realtors are dropping them off at the title company since the realtor can't that's, be that's there. One, that's one so, of my favorite things to do is to hand the keys over. It's just, jingle, it's, jingle, jingle. well, it's symbolic. It's so yeah. wonderful, right? So, and, and I work with a lot of uh, young and first time home buyers and uh, uh, I just, uh, just to see the glimmer in their eye to know they've finally gotten there. It's so much fun. I know. It's really exciting to finally get to that closing and then probably more exciting for our clients. Sometimes we meet them at the house too, which is really fun. Um, but frequently when we've done that final walkthrough, we've gotten the keys at that time or the other realtor has decided they want to get the keys out and grab the last things, grab the sign in the lockbox off, and then they'll drop those keys off at closing for those clients. But yeah, you get to that closing table, you sign through 150 pieces of paper, and then you're running for the threshold <laughs> of your new home. It's pretty awesome. And there you have it, right? That's the entire home buying journey. That's step five, right? The closing from start to keys. I hope you've really enjoyed this podcast episode along with our entire series of the home buying journey. Uh, be sure and uh, check out our upcoming home sellers journey, which is uh, the next educational series that Jen and I are putting together. And as always, you know, certainly listen to the podcast for some really fun and informative uh, sessions that we have with our typical interview format. Until next time. You have been listening to Get Real KC with Eric Jurgensen and Jen Justice. For more information or to contact our hosts, visit us at dreamhomesbygen.com where you can find more episodes exploring real estate as it matters to you.